Anything else as we begin? Um, t- today's message is uh, running, <laughs> running from God. And uh, we, as we think about our lives, uh, there, there haven't been times, maybe there are times that you constantly walk in obedience and maybe that, uh, you know, we're all just right where we should be. But God doesn't have a problem with us being us. God doesn't have a problem with us being where we're at because he's going to get our attention. (laughs) You know, God is going to get our attention somewhere along the line. And today we're reading about, looking at the life of Jonah. (laughs) Jonah. Jonah and the big big fish. (laughs) The prepared fish. You know, this, this lady was on a, a plane, and she was reading her Bible, and the guy beside her says, do you believe all that stuff? And uh, she says, well, of course I do. And, and, and he says, well, do you believe that fish story where that guy gets swallowed by a whale? And she says, well, of course I do. And, and he says, well, how do you know that? He says, well, when I get to heaven, I'm going to ask him. And the guy says to her, well, what if he's not in heaven? And she turns to him and says, well, I guess you can ask him. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was funny. Yeah, I think you can ask him then, yeah? But uh, we do believe and we do understand this is, this is a real story, okay? This is a real event. This isn't a fish tale, you know? This isn't a tale of a whale or a whale of a tale. This is a true-to-life experience that a prophet of God went through. Now, a couple of things to keep in mind. Nineveh is a great city. Uh, it is somewhere, I have it written down, I believe it's 45 miles in circumference. Okay, so it's a pretty big place. Uh, I don't know if it'd be the size of Philadelphia or New York City. I don't know how many miles in circumference they are. But it is a huge city for its time period. And there are over 120,000 infants. It's referred to that there are 120,000 people in the city that don't know their right hand from their left. So that means they are, <laughs> they're little. It doesn't mean that the whole place is, uh, <laughs> has, is lacking in their mental abilities. It means that there are children in the city that, to the tune of 120,000 that don't have the ability to decide right or wrong. So Jonah was sent to the city of Nineveh probably about 785 to 760 B.C. So he is sent to the city, and God has awakened, God has called Jonah, chapter 1, verse 1. One day long ago, God's word, and I'm reading from the Message Bible, uh, the word came to Jonah, up on your feet and on the way to the big city, the big city of Nineveh, preach to them, they're in a bad way, and I can't ignore it any longer. So there is this message to go to the city of Nineveh. But there's a problem. Jonah doesn't like these people. And rightfully so. These, the, the city of Nineveh and the Assyrian Empire were ruthless. I mean, they were, you know, there was no civil rights in that, in that, that community. It was a conquer, and when you're conquered, kill. Uh, they would kill, pillage, burn, you know, it was, it was, they were a nasty people. And whenever they um, would raid Israel, 
when they would come and war against some of the surrounding communities in Israel, they were devastating. They would come, they would take slaves, they would kill people and take the goods and take them back to, to Nineveh. So they, they were ruthless people. They had gained their reputation uh, through their actions. And the city of Nineveh was about 500 miles, as it were, from Jerusalem, from where Jonah was, northeast. It was not along the coast, but it was inward, uh, eastward, northeastern from, from the, uh, you know, Assyria, where um, Jerusalem lie. So it was a great city, 48 miles in, in diameter and in, in circumference. Its wickedness, its wickedness, has come up before the Lord to the point that God says, I want to do something about it. Now, Jonah would have preferred God to hellfire and brimstone. We'll take care of him, God. <laughs> you know, I, I can accept that in Jonah's mind. I can accept that type of salvation. You know, the old expression, hang him, it'll teach him a lesson. Well, in this case, blow them up, destroy them, and we'll teach them a lesson, God. And so Jonah doesn't want to go to Nineveh. He has already determined that this city needs to burn. Okay? They need to burn for their sins. They need to be destroyed for their raking, wrecking havoc, breaking havoc upon the nation of Israel. They need to pay. So Jonah, in his compassion, verse 3, got up and went in the other direction. <laughs> he, he's going to Tarshish. Well, Tarshish is a city uh, prob probably in Sicily, the southern Italy, you know, the island there. So if you have Jerusalem here, you have Nineveh up here, northeast, and where does jo and Jonah go? Over here. <laughs> He's taking the fastest route possible to put the greatest distance between he and God and God's calling. So he, he just takes off. He doesn't argue with God that God is making a mistake and how that God should somehow uh, just, um, you know, kill them all. It'll be, it'll be okay. Well, he went in the opposite direction, running away from God. He went down to the port of Jaffa and found a ship headed for Tarshish. He paid the fare and went on, went on board, joining those going to Tarshish, as far away from God as he could get. Hmm. Do you ever find, uh, you know, I don't know if I've ever done this. <laughs> uh, probably have in many ways, but... I don't think I've ever run, ran from what I believe the calling of God to be in my entire life. I mean, as a kid, I was raised in the church. I, my mom and my grandma and my dad, they were all just very spiritual, very compassionate, loving. You know, we, we tried our best to obey God. And, and one of the things that has been for my downfall is that it's hard for me to recognize how gracious God can be just to, to bestow gifts upon us. See, for me, you got to work for what you get. <laughs> the farmer, you know. you gotta, you got to wait till spring. I was asking Bob if he tilled the snow for his garden yet, you know. <laughs> 
Uh, so, you know, you've got to work for it. You've got you've to put in the time. You've got to put in the labor. And, and you've got to do all these things. And once you do all those things, you know, you get a harvest. Well, you know, that's how it's done. When you're a farmer, <laughs> when you're a gardener. But God has a way then that is above all of that, that he can give to us what we haven't planted because he planted it. He can bestow a harvest upon us that we didn't plant and that his blessings that come into our life can be greater than the sum total of what we planted. See, so the blessings of God are greater and the way that God bestows them into our life is in our relationship and in this relationship with Jesus Christ he brings he bestows he pours he shake pressed down shaking together and running over the same measure that you measure out which will be measured back we did that in the Sunday school lesson this morning spoke about how that the Hebrew nation its justice and its religious system were combined as one so that if you broke the laws of the community, you were breaking the laws of God. Now, in our society, we have you, you separation of church and state. You have the separation of laws and God. But in reality, if we are pleasing to God, we will be keeping the laws of the state. <laughs> we don't steal, we don't kill, we don't bear false witness. We, don't, you know, we, we do the right things for the right reasons. And here Jonah, he, he has a different plan in mind. He knows what God has said. There's no confusion in this whole, whole thing. So he makes up his mind. He's going to run away from God. He has a better idea. <laughs> he has a better plan. He has a better plan, and if he doesn't do it, he doesn't follow God's plan then these individuals will have to face God's justice because I'm not going to tell them about his mercy. And so he takes off in a different direction. But God, while he's on this, uh, while he's on this ship, God sends a storm. Now, it's important that we know not all storms come because we're running from God. Okay? The storms in our life, people... people <laughs> Um, what was it? The, uh, there are always individuals who will tell you what you should and should not be doing. And the greatest disability that we have is trying to make everybody happy because we know that it's not going to work. There's a story of an old man and his donkey and his, and his grandson. So he's walking down, the, you know, he's taking the, the donkey, grand, the grandpa is walking the donkey and the little boy is riding the donkey and they're going to walking down the road well what a per first person comes by and says what a spoiled little boy that would ride and let his grandpa walk so grandpa takes the boy off and he gets on the donkey and they're riding down the, the road and another person comes by and says my what a spoiled old man to make to ride and not and make his little boy grandson walk so he picked his grandson up and put it on they both were riding down the road and the next person says my what terrible owners for both of them to be 
riding a donkey that's such a small donkey. And so they both got off, and the next guy came down and says, don't you think it's kind of terrible that you're carrying the donkey? He's supposed to be walking. <laughs> so. so whenever you want to make everybody happy, just carry your donkey. So the storm that comes up here, and it reminded me of this storm in Mark chapter 4, where um, later that day, Jesus, he said, let us to this, the disciples, let us go across to the other side. They took him in the boat um, and, the, and other boats along with him, and a huge storm came up, and waves poured into the boat, threatening to sink it. And Jesus was in the stern, head on a pillow, sleeping. So here in Mark chapter 4, Jesus is in the boat, and the boat is in the storm. Now, we have the storm in Jonah, in which Jonah is running from God, and here we have the storm, and Jesus is in the boat with the disciples. Now, we find out that Jonah is sleeping, <laughs> and so is Jesus. Now, the, the, Jesus is asleep in the midst of the storm. I don't know how you sleep when there's water coming in over the boat and getting all wet and stuff. I, I, pro I don't know, but Jesus is asleep. Now, one of the things in this, in this story in Mark chapter 4 is that no matter what the difficulties are, Jesus is at peace. See, that Jesus is at peace and that his peace he gives unto us, not as the world gives, he gives us peace. So when we are going through the storms of our life, we want to make sure that Jesus is our peace. <laughs> so whenever I pray with people and they are facing end-of-life issues, the most important thing I feel that I can bring to them is the peace of knowing God as their Savior. So whenever we have peace, we can face any issue that the storms of life are not out of control because Jesus is with me. He is in the boat and he's asleep. And so that I recognize that I am at peace and no matter what happens in all of the midst of life and no matter what fears and difficulties and what people may say, that I know that I'm at peace. And one of this, this one individual that I was ministering to, she was frightened because of, a, of an individual who had came to her and prayed with her and it scared her and I thought oh what a what a what an injustice to God that he would cause that people would bring Jesus to them to create fear Jesus doesn't create fear he, he forgives, he loves, he restores. You know, in, in the Sunday school lesson this morning, whenever we were talking about, um, in, in, there, was, there were no prisons. There were no prisons whenever the children of Israel left Egypt and the, and the uh, bringing of the commandments and the bringing of the laws into the, into the Hebrew, the Jewish society, there were no prisons. There was an eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth. You break somebody's arm, they break yours. You cut somebody's hands off, they cut your hands off. There was just, that was just the way it was. But that was the beginning of mercy. <laughs> the reason it's the beginning of mercy was if that clan came from, someone from that 
family came over here and killed somebody from this family, this family would go and kill everybody in that family. <laughs> but mercy was, we demand justice. The one who killed his life shall be taken, and then we won't kill everybody else. Justice. The penal system in that time was to restore what was stolen, and then the person was to be beaten, punished, in front of everyone. And that after they were punished, they were restored to the community. That the person who had done wrong was not to be looked down upon because of their sin. They were to be punished for their sin and restored to the community. And that is exactly how Jesus does with us that we are not eliminated from the body of Christ because we fail. That we sin, we ask God to forgive us, and we are brought back into the family. That we are part of the family of God and nothing can separate us from the love of God. We are restored. We are brought back into the family. God desires restoration, not separation. He desires restoration. We are restored to the, the, the family of God. We are restored to where God wants us to be. So here we are, in, in this case in Mark chapter 4, when Jesus is in the boat with the disciples, that when we find ourselves in the midst of a storm, don't panic. Don't throw somebody overboard because we think they've sinned. And don't become anxious with Jesus that he's sleeping and he doesn't know where we're at. <laughs> Why doesn't God answer my prayers? I've told him what he should do. <laughs> I even gave him a detailed instruction as to how I want all this answered. <laughs> because what do we do in prayer but tell God what's wrong and how to fix it? <laughs> and so we... Yes, we say our need and what, how the desire and the direction that we would like these things to go, but God has a way then of impressing upon us what his direction is, and we are to be giving thanks to God for hearing our prayers and how that he is going to restore and how that he is going to heal, how that he is going to work all of this together for good. And so we are in the midst of that relational experience in which we feel, no, God is in the boat and the boat feels like it's going to fill with water and sink, but it doesn't matter. Jesus is in the boat, and the boat won't sink. <laughs> in him I have life, and I have it for, I have it in abundance, and I have it for an eternity. So the disciples, <laughs> they said to Jesus, Teacher, is it nothing to you that we're going to drown? <laughs> Sounds like a modern-day person, don't they? Jesus, don't you care that I'm in trouble here <laughs> and that all these things have gone wrong and that my life is just a mess and whatever? Wake up and get over here and save me. <laughs> well, Jesus awakens. In the Message Bible, it says, he told the wind to pipe down. <laughs> he told the wind to pipe down. The wind ran out of breath. Jesus says, wind, stop this. Ran out of breath. You know, sometimes when 
you look on the map and you see all these people are going to have these disasters from the winds and the hurricanes and the nor'easterns and all that stuff. You know, I always pray, God, take the wind out of the storm. I don't know what is needed. I don't know what the problem is. But God, take the wind out of the storm. Take the violence out of the storm. Because, you know, out west where we're having all that rain and mudslides and stuff, they're having a great drought. And it is these massive storms that fill up the reservoirs. <laughs> and sometimes, now sometimes it's a lot of other things going on, you know, I have no idea about, but it is the storms that actually replenish the reservoirs that keep people in water in the dry times of, of the, in the dry seasons of the summer. So even though we don't like them, we pray that God would take the violence out of them and keep his people safe, which are his children, keep all of them safe. And Jesus tells the storm to quiet down, and he tells the waves to stop, and they're as smooth as glass. And the disciples then look, and they say, and Jesus, Jesus looks at them, and he, he says, you cowards, why are you such cowards? Why are you such cowards to face the storms that are just as natural that you have dealt with over the years, you fishermen? These storms are part of the sea. And you're a coward to face these? And he says, don't you have any faith at all? Don't you have any faith at all to face these difficulties knowing that I am with you? And then in the next verse, 41, and they were, they were in absolute awe, staggered. Who is this anyway? You see, it isn't out of the ordinary for God to do the miraculous. To God, miraculous is ordinary. To God, the miraculous is an ordinary thing. So here we are in our life facing our difficulties and our obstacles and our good times and our bad times and we are be thanking God for his divine interaction in our life and for the ability for God to just work within us. So here is a storm that it's his disciples and Jesus is in the boat and they're frightened because he's not doing what they expect him to. The fears that we face... Are they because God isn't doing what we expect him to? Because perhaps God has something different he wants us to do. Perhaps God wants us to be more dependent upon him than upon our ability to do the work. See, for me, I always felt that when I retire, <laughs> you know, I could go do this and go do that because I was always used to doing physical, brute. I was strong, but <laughs> brute force, you know, if you can't move it, move it. If you can't, you know, you just have to pick it up and do it, you know, just go do it. You want to do it. Well, I washed the cars yesterday, and by the time I was finished, I couldn't stand up. <laughs> I can't do it anymore because of the problems that I have. And, God, and, you know, okay, God, what's wrong with you? Don't you know that I'm your servant? I've been here. I've been faithful, and I got a back problem. And it's like, David, 
your future isn't in your brute force. (laughs) Your future is not in your strength. Your future is in mine. (laughs) You see? And God wants us to pay attention because he's doing something a little different. Now, this isn't for you. This is for me. (laughs) Now, what God does in your back and how he does it with your situation is probably entirely different than mine. And what he does in each of our lives, they may be similar, but they're totally different. God has a way of calming the storm. And for the disciples, Jesus stands up in the boat and says, Peace be still, quiets the storms, and they're in awe. For Jonah, <laughs> Jonah, well, what happened to Jonah? The ship was about to break in pieces. The sailors were terrified. They called out in desperation to their gods. Hmm. Sometimes we need to know who our God is. (laughs) Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will trust in the name of the Lord our God. (laughs) Some trust in themselves. Some trust in the government. Some trust in their neighbors. Some trust in their families. Some trust in this and trust in that. And whenever the troubles come, it forces us to really focus on who is, what is my God? What am I trusting with my life? You see, when dealing with terminal illness and people are at the end of their life, it really boils down to (laughs) who am I trusting? The doctors have failed. The medications have failed, and I have a limited time to live. What and who am I going to trust? Well, we need to arrive at those places before our life is on the end of its, if at the, on, in the end of its days. We need to recognize that we are trusting in God, the God of the Hebrews, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God that delivered the children of Israel out of Egypt through the Red Sea. It's the same God, the same provisions that he did for Israel, he can do for us. It's the same God who calmed the storms in Mark chapter 4 with the disciples. It's the same God who calms our storms. The same God who was with Jonah is the same God who is with us. And he can do anything he wants, any miraculous move that he wants, but he chooses to use us. He chooses for us to make our decisions. You know what? God, I know I should go to Nineveh, but eh, to you, (laughs) I don't like them. I'm not going. I'm going the other way. Find somebody else. (laughs) And Jonah goes off. Storm comes. Where's Jonah? He's sleeping. <laughs> you know, I was wondering, you know, some people are afraid to go to sleep because they might, uh, they might hear, you know. They might dream. They might, maybe, you know, God's in the first part when he calls Jonah, he says, up and go. I wonder if Jonah was sleeping. Just a thought, you know, just a thought. He's asleep and, jo- and God says, Jonah, wake up. <laughs> he gets up. What, 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 what? Go to Nineveh. Oh, yeah, 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 Nineveh. Yeah, no, I'm not going to Nineveh, you know. <laughs> And Jonah's asleep. He wakes up and go to Nineveh. So Jonah is on this campaign 
I ain't sleeping again. <laughs> Till I'm out of here, I'm on a ship, and I'm going in a, different, in a different direction because I don't want him telling me again to go there. So I'm staying awake. I'm going to fill my mind with activities. I'm going to do everything that I can to not think of God. I'm not going to listen to God. I'm not going to go to church. I'm not going to pray. I'm not going to read the Bible. Don't dare listen to the radio. Don't listen to Joel Osteen. Don't listen to the preachers on TV. I am not going to do this, and I'm going to stay awake until I get on my boat and when I'm on my boat and I'm headed to Tarsus I can go to sleep <laughs> do you know people who do that run 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 because they don't want to think of the truth well it's okay he gets on the boat goes to sleep boat's going to sink Broke, breaking up you know, they do all the things. They throw ropes around the body of the boat and they do all this stuff. And, well, nothing was working, so what do they do? It's got to be somebody's fault. So they cast lots, you know, and Jonah ends up with a short straw. It's him. Tell us about you. Well, let me tell you about me. I am a Hebrew. They grilled him. Confess. Why this disaster? What is your work? Where do you come from? What country? What family? Well, Jonah says, I'm a Hebrew. I worship God, the God of the heaven who made the sea and the land. <laughs> I'm, I worship the God who makes that sea. I worship the God who created the heavens and the earth. You see, I serve him. And I think he's angry with me. <laughs> and the, the guys on the boat, they don't want to upset the God of Jonah. So they continue to row. They throw everything overboard. They do everything they can to keep the boat afloat. And finally, they decide, what is it? And Jonah, verse 10, as Jonah talked, the soldiers realized he was running away from God. They said to him, Verse 11, what are we going to do with you to get rid of the storm? Verse 12, Jonah says, I think you should throw me overboard. Now, I, I like this, and this is just my little thing. This is a Dave McGeeism. You know, I don't give any commentary blame for this one. Jonah's last act of defiance. God I am not going to Nineveh, and I will die before I go there. Throw me overboard, boys. <laughs> I didn't do this on my own, God. <laughs> they threw me overboard. Jonah does his swan dive into the ocean. I am not going to Nineveh. Yes. <laughs> Hello. There's a whale. <laughs> there is a prepared fish swallows up Jonah. And Jonah finds himself in a place where he's more receptive <laughs> to God. Notice one thing. The seas calmed immediately. Jonah hits the water. It's over. Storms are gone. Seas are calm. And the people on the boat know that this guy, this God of this guy, he is really something. We better watch out. And you know there's a telephone, telegraph, and a tele-David? 
that you, you know, the communication, you know, gossip, whatever. I don't gossip, but I just, I didn't want to name anybody else, so I might as well name me. But uh, so word gets out, and in those days, there were no telegraphs, but there was a caravans and everybody. These guys would have told about this, this guy, this Jonah. I imagine they got the port in a hurry, and Jonah is in the fish. Now, what do you think it is like to be digested alive? You know, most of the time we think of uh, Pinocchio and the old guy sitting in the belly of the fish with the little table and the lamp. <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, Jonah's in there. He's got a little, God gave him a little desk and the chairs, you know, and he's sitting in there, you know, thinking about, oh, I shouldn't have come here. Uh-uh. There's seaweed wrapped around his head. He is being digested alive. He's being digested alive. Then Jonah prayed. (laughs) He prayed to his God from the belly of the fish. God God doesn't change our calling even when we run. He loves you for who you are. He wants only the best for you. And if being in the belly of the fish, and you want thrown overboard, you'll think that's the answer until you're overboard. Jesus is with us. In our most difficult times of life, he is with us. To calm the sea, or to prepare a fish to take us where we need to go. Jonah, you know, as you read this, and I'm not going to read it all, but in Jonah chapter 2, I prayed to God and he answered me. From the belly of the grave I cried, Help, you heard my cry. You threw me into the ocean's depth, into a watery grave. How does Jonah know he's at the bottom of the sea? Why can't we go to the bottom of the sea? The pressure is too great. Jonah's in a whale, and the pressure that he would have felt in the depths of the sea, he talks about. I've been thrown away. I've been thrown overboard. It's like he is struggling. to. He's going going to die. He is going to be digested alive. That's all that he knows. And he is going to make things right with he and God. And he says, I will never again lay eyes on the holy temple. Never again will I see the beauty of that temple and the, and the presence of God. Never again will I be there. And he is lamenting over this. Digesting alive seaweed and squid and krill and all those little things swimming around him and in his face and in his mouth and he's being digested alive and the acids are working on his skin. (laughs) Got the picture? And he feels the depths of the ocean like he's being crushed from the inside and he can, how can you breathe? The ocean gripped me by the throat. The ancient abyss grabbed me and held me tight. My head was all tangled in seaweed at the bottom of the sea where the mountains take root. (laughs) My prayer got through. It made it all the way to your holy temple. Those who worship hollow gods 
God frauds walk away from their only true love. But I'm worshiping you, God, calling out to you in thanksgiving, and I'll do what I promised I'd do. Salvation belongs to God. (laughs) He realized he was going to live. This is the challenge. No matter what our mistakes, no matter what our failures, they don't, God can, it's the heart that makes the difference. And if we have a heart towards God, God is going to open doors, close doors. He's going to be the miraculous power of his love and his grace and his mercy. He will bestow upon us things that we could never imagine because it is his will to be gracious and it is his will to bless us and to hold us and to uplift us because as we are uplifted, he is uplifted. Because God is being magnified in my voice, in my life, in my hands, in my feet, in my doing, in my coming, in my going. I'm being magnifying, magnifying God. And so if we are running, don't worry. There'll be a storm <laughs> and there'll be a prepared fish and God will bring you back to land and spew you out on the ground. You know, some wondered, and I'll I'll quit with this, but I like this story. (laughs) Some wonder how Jonah could go to this city and everybody be converted. Well, what does a half-digested man look like? (laughs) What What does a man who has been acid, what, you know, he doesn't, I don't think he's the most pretty of sights. And everybody has heard about the guy who was thrown overboard and the seas calmed down. They've all heard about his God. Jonah shows up. Repent. Yes. No. (laughs) He don't want them to repent. But God wants them to repent because God has a way of working in our lives that he wants what he wants to do. So don't run. Give up surrender, allow God to begin where we're at, bring us to this place of restoration, allow God's blessing to flow into our lives, and no matter what the seas may do, no matter what the turmoil may be, God is in the boat. He, is, he may be sleeping, not really. He's there. He will calm every storm. He will provide every need. He will make a way where there is no way, and he will bring you exactly where you need to be. And don't ever doubt that because you failed, you're kicked out. Never. God accepts us just as we are to bring us back into the family, his family, to serve and to be blessed and to be part of what he wants to do. Amen? Shall we stand? (laughs) Do we believe it? (laughs) Amen. Do we receive it? Do you accept it? Are you in the belly of the whale saying, oh my? (laughs) Or are we in the boat saying, Jesus, calm the storm? Wherever we're at, he is there. He hears our prayers, and he brings us to the place of restoration. Amen? 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 Amen. So be it, Lord. Amen.